All right. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I said, let's pray and we'll ask the Lord's blessing and uh, we'll see if we can make some ground. Our Father, thank you again for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his word. Thank you that the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God never quits and is always 24-7. And so we pray that his ministry would continue this hour and many hours beyond, not so we can be more brilliant, but we can be more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I was talking with Dave Bosworth, and he made a really astute observation. You know, I was using the term competing jurisdictions, and really that's, that's probably not the best term. Now, he wasn't rebuking me or anything. We were just talking, but I think he was right. It's really comparative jurisdictions, as those triangular triangles showed across that one slide. And it's important to understand that they're always usually simultaneously in play, right? You cannot not be a father today and not have uh, the law upon you. I mean, you've got to pay taxes, right? I mean, so there's always multiple jurisdictions in play at all times. And, and so uh, they're not competing for your allegiance or loyalty. They're just contrasting. And they're all set up by the Lord. So we owe our allegiance to the Lord and therefore we'll follow suit. Now, what I want to do is I want to turn our attention back to the bigger picture of what is this new beginning stuff? What is it supposed to look like? And, and what does really Ephesians 5 say? And so we're going to go through this in some detail here in the last hour of the day and make sure that we come away with a pretty thorough understanding. So the male responsibility is listed in 25B and th- uh, through 33. Notice it's a large section of discussion. It says basically this beginning in 25, husbands love your wives Comparatively, that's that metaphor, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All right, so we're going to start here and notice that from here to the end of the chapter, basically, is the, the, the information that talks about male responsibility. So what I mean by this is, men, when I said to you that our name shows up twice on the chart, what I really meant was we got a bigger responsibility, and it bears out just in the volume of, that, of the instructions we receive. So here's the, here's the important take-home point. To love your wife in a quali- with a quality that's equivalent to the love that Christ has for his bride. You know, um, I was working one day at the hospital, and uh, I, I just make it a practice to call my wife a lot when I'm, when I'm duty. Not, not when I'm seeing you in the room, you know, when I'm at my desk. and I got a minute and it's kind of funny. I, I was calling her so often. She said, you just called. I said, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's been 20 minutes. I thought I should call you back. And she goes, oh, that's sweet. But I got to go. Click. <laughs> and so I, I would just, you know, do that. And the nurses can hear me. And, um, and, uh, and you know, I'd, I'd just say silly things like, you know, man, you're smoking hot. Can I tell you a funny story? It's really funny. Don't repeat it. Okay. So you know how um, this generational gap sometimes exists. And, and uh, so I would say to, to my wife in the kitchen, do I need to turn the thermostat down? She goes, no. I just thought I might because you're so smoking hot. <laughs> so my kids, I go, oh, stop, stop already. So we were doing this for like ever. So we're driving home one night from the, chapel and my wife stayed home she wasn't feeling well but I, I was having a kidney stone pain and 
I call her up and say, I, I feel like my kidney stone's coming back. She goes, oh, I'll start the heating pad for you. We'll get that fixed. I said, oh, I, I kind of like it when you're the heating pad. And then my daughter, six-year-old, she goes, because she's so smoking hot, right, Daddy? <laughs> yes, honey. That's a, maybe we should tone that down a little bit. <laughs> anyway, so I'm doing that silly stuff at work, and I'll say some things that are just silly. When I get off the phone, and the nurse looks at me, and she goes, I want my husband to talk about me the way you talk about your wife. Okay? Now, at the time, that meant nothing to me. I was actually kind of embarrassed. But what I realized was she was making a comparison in her marriages. And so must we. I want to talk about my wife like Christ talks about his bride. See that? That's what he's saying. How often does Christ talk about his bride? A whole lot. What does he say in Psalm 139? If you were to count the number of thoughts you have for me, they would be more than the grains of the sand of the ocean floor and the sea, right? So, can I ask you, if you could take a glass out there, go out to the beach, go like this with the sand, could you tell me how many grains are in the cup? And the answer is no. But if you had all the cups of sand on the planet, he would think of you more than that, right? That's what we're saying, man. That's what God. That's the that's the equivalency. Now, I'm not talking about the corny stuff like you're smoking hot, that kind of thing. I'm talking about those thoughts, those that evaluation, that that esteem, that that honor, that love that goes into this statement. That's what I'm talking about. I want to ask you something, brothers. Have you ever said in a moment of frustration, oh, man, sometimes. You ever done that? Okay, I want you to know something. I don't ever recall the Lord Jesus ever saying that about me. And if he's not speaking that way, then we're not speaking that way. That's the parameter. That's what I mean by this comparative statement. Just as Christ Love the church. Love your wives just as. Commensurate to. Equivalent to. Not like, well, that's my goal, Stevie. No, no, no. That's, it's, it's not just the goal. It is the thing. And that's where we want to measure our words, how we want to measure our words. That's how we want to measure our attitudes. That's how we want to measure our uh, um, actions to our wives. We have a little funny thing in our house. My wife drinks coffee, and I'm a Christian, and I don't. And so, but she says to me, and probably more correct, she goes, Stephen, it is in the Bible. The husband is to brew the coffee. Have you ever heard of Hebrews? All right, so I, you know, she doesn't trust me to do the coffee. She, she trusts Michael, the coffee connoisseur. But you know what she trusts me with? To bring it to her. So, that's what I do. I bring the coffee in. Yeah. Now, why do I do that? Actually, I know it sounds crazy and stupid and corny, but it means a lot to her. She, she likes it. I don't ask her, well, why can't you like golf? You know, because I don't like golf. I said, well, why can't you like this? I just, you like it? It's good enough for me. It, it's, it's, it's precious to you, so it's precious to me. That's another example of this just-ass thing, right? 
let me tell you how God did it in the Old Testament. All right? Do you remember when the uh, prophets were like cutting down the trees and Elisha was there? And, and they're going to whack and whack and whoa, and it goes Jordan River, the clean one. Right? And so they go like this. Oh no! Man of God, it was a borrowed axe. Man of God, voice of God, says this. Oh, where did you drop it? Okay, think about it. You just split the river Jordan. Do you really think the man of God has to ask, well, where'd you drop it? Huh? What is he really saying? Do you have a boo-boo? Let me see your boo-boo. You got you got a little skin knee. Let me show me where it hurts. Show me where it dropped. Like the man of God needed to know. God he didn't need to know. He split the you know. He just and so he raises it. This is how God is, right? This is how God is to you and I. Did you hurt? Did you hurt yourself? Did, did something bothering you? Show me. Show me where it hurt. And I like like a, like the doc, the the mother and the hopefully the doctor, the nurse does to the child, and they come up. Oh, it doesn't work. I got a scratch. And you look at it like, oh my goodness, oh, good. yeah. And you go, I think it's working fine. You know, <laughs> why? Well, why are you doing that? Because you love him, and if it bothers him, you're gonna let it bother you. That's how God is. Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So you do a study on how the descriptions on how Christ loved the church and how he loved, how he loved people in the in synoptic gospels and how the love of God crept out in the book of Acts and how the love of God shows up in the epistles. And that's the word of God that begins to have an effect on the, on the application of this particular command. Now let's move on for a brief second here. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. What's that mean? That, that he's going to bring purity to her life, right? That's exactly what this means. A sense of separation, not isolation, but a real sense of bringing them closer to the Lord themselves. And, and that, they, that the bride would be cleansed, undefiled, unspotted, no wrinkles, perfectly pressed outfits. Oh, Steve, do you mean I need to do the laundry? No, have somebody else do it. But this is what I am saying. What I am saying here is that you are living in such a way that you are elevating her Christianity. So many times I meet couples and guess what? It's the wife who's elevating the Christianity in the marriage. Now listen, man, that's not right. The the way the example of the Savior is he was doing what would be necessary for her spiritual growth and development. I want to ask you something. Forgive me for being so hard on you, but listen close. Your personal moments of private worship and times with the Lord Jesus are directly affecting your spouse's spirituality. Do you hear that? It is vital for you. It is vital for her. It cannot not be done another way. In order for this to happen, you will have to die to yourself and and sacrifice some things. I get it. I have to do it too. But listen, this is important. How do you think Job's family survived? Do you know what Job did? He got up every day, it says regularly, and he purposely made sacrifices, burnt offerings, 
for his children just in case, just in case, not if they did, just in case they curse God in their hearts. You see how his spirituality had direct protective effect and grace upon his entire family. Men, that's our job. That's our job. And you do whatever it takes. You got sin, you do whatever it takes. You got bitterness, you do whatever it takes. You need to be in the Word, you do whatever it takes. All right, we'll talk about that later. Now, nourishes, it says in the text, I'll read it here. It says, so husbands, ought, oh, where is it at? And he's, oh, hus, verse 28, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Notice of those two verses, or, or the, verse 20 and 29, the comparison is just as the Lord does the church. So that's your standard, just like Christ loved the church. Now he's talking about caring for the church like the Lord does for the church and his bride. And it says two things, verse 28, you think of it like you're caring for yourself, right? That's, that's how you want to, if you take care of yourself, if you're hungry, you go get something to eat, all right? So that type of personal sort of unrecognized focus upon your own personal needs is what you transfer over to the care of your wife. That's how it works. That's loving your wife like I love, uh, that I love, uh, 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 love you. I, whatever you, I, I identify the bride to me so tightly that I constantly think of her well-being so that if I'm thinking I'm going to eat, uh, eat some dinner, I'm going to naturally think, well, my bride's hungry too. That's the Lord Jesus talking. That she must be hungry too, so I'm going to get her dinner. If I'm thirsty, she might be thirsty. If I want a cup of coffee, she might want a coffee. That's the point. That's how you will regard your wife. You think of her as if she is that just from your side. <gasps> wow, there's another image. See it? And that's what he's saying. That's how we are to regard this person I tell you, so many times I'm so selfish. Let me tell you what happened in our marriage. This is, a, this is my hall of shame moment. So my wife comes in, right? And so we're a bunch of guys. We're sitting around in the, in the, in the little den there, and we're watching the Chiefs. And so we're watching the football game. She comes in, and, and I didn't know it. I was too involved in the game. And, and uh, we all greet her, and we're all friendly. And nobody gets up, and she goes to the kitchen and leaves the room. That night which is usually where I get my biggest moments of epiphanies. She says to me, Hey, Steve, can I ask you about something? Yeah, sure, hon. What's the matter? She goes, You know when you guys were watching the game and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody got up to let me sit down. I'm so sorry about that. So, you know what I did? The next day, I call a meeting of the men. I got a lot of men. We got to meet. We get in. I said, Hey, guys, I have to confess to you something. That when Mama walked in the room yesterday, I and also you, we didn't get up at all. We didn't, we didn't let her sit down. I said, I, I'm sorry. I set a bad example. That's not how we want to treat your Mama and how I don't want to treat my wife. So next time, let's, let's do better. Okay, Dad. Okay, yeah. Okay, we got it. So next Sunday comes around. We're sitting there watching the Chiefs game. She walks in the room. All six of us get up immediately. Hey, would you like to sit down? How about here? Oh, okay. we can you, kind of get you some coffee. You know, that kind of thing. That night, I had another meeting with Mrs. Wonderful. This is what she said. It was a little over the top. (laughs) All right. Nourishes and shared. These two words. Now, this is really kind of neat. 
Nourishes means you're providing, right? Basic necessities, food, rearing is provide rearing. That's provide, I don't mean the rear end. I mean provide um, the idea of raising up, right? So it's, it's growing. It's this nourish thing. That's what the man nourishes him like your own body. But this word cherish, it comes from a root word that means to warm. Actually, it does mean to warm. Now, what does that mean, to warm? Well, that means we snuggle by the campfire. <laughs> no. It, it, it has this idea that as a mother would care for her children, that's this passage in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. And what he means by that is, have you ever watched your wife, the mother, care for the children? You know, you ever, we're, we're sitting around kind of just watching, what are we watching? Um, Bugs Bunny. We watch a lot of Looney Tunes. And, uh, and so here we're watching Bugs Bunny because of Gracie. And, and, you know, every time we, at that age, the, the, the ch- young child goes over to sit with Mama. Right? I go, hey, I'm over here. You want to sit with Daddy? In a minute. <laughs> now, why do they do that? Well, Steve, obviously, she has more body heat. and that's why, No, that's not what I'm talking about. The reason why she does that is there is an established connection of receptivity and security of comfort as well as coziness that that child has an attraction to. And what the scripture is saying, just like the mother would do that for the child, you, man, do that for your wife. How do you do that? Well, we instituted date night. You don't have to have date night. You you do whatever you want, but we did date night. Now, there are many ways to do date night, right? First of all, you've got to go out. Now, you don't have to make it expensive because maybe money's tight. So go get an ice cream cone. They're only a dollar at McDonald's, especially the dip cones. Those are really good. But it's not just doing an event. You engage the event. So many times I would come home after a night shift and then we'd go out that evening. I was so disoriented and really quite irritable. I was a lousy date. No one would ever, I mean, who would ever go out with a guy grouchy like that? The, the point is, is that if, if you, somebody wanted, if you, if, if you were going to go on an event, don't you like it when that other person plans it all and thinks it out and, and, and says, what would you like to do? I think, man, yeah, you might want to show up with a little bit of forethought. You know, this is what I did the other day. She goes, she goes, well, where do you want to go to eat? I said, well, do you have any place you'd like to go? Not really. He says, well, then I have a plan. Oh, I love it when you have a plan. Right? In other words, she needs to know that I'm looking forward to being with you. And that shows up in the planning and the expectation and the flowers and everything. Now, don't be stupid and just focus on the, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. It's, it's a mindset. You're, you're bringing warmth coziness, invitation, comfortability. And when you talk, don't just, don't always defend. Who wants to talk to a person who's always going to defend it? Don't talk about your great achievements either. You know, construct questions that bring her out. She's the rose. Let her petals come out without being injured. That's the point. That's this cherished, nourished concept. And for whatever reason, guys, including me, I just think the date's for me. I've had a hard day. I worked and provided the bacon. Let's go enjoy some of it, and you can come too. (laughs) 
All the young people go, oh boy, you're dumber than a brick. That's selfishness. That's not how Christ does it. Let me ask you something. He's got a long time to prepare that mansion. Think it's going to be a lean-to? What do you think about the marriage supper? Think he has any forethought in that? Any planning? Let me tell you, if I'm Christ and I have a bride that I've worked uh, forever to reobtain, my father's done all the work and the cross, the resurrection, the whole thing, I'm going to make this wedding special. See that? That's the mentality. All right, let's go on. Husbands, so love your wives as himself. This is the point. Um, It's selflessness. You love yourself to the maximum degree. You love her to the maximum degree. And in doing so, you are going to have to die to oneself, thinking in a manner of the other person's needs. Here's what it says in Philippians. And with lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others as more important than himself. Do not look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 3, or 2, 3 through 5. Here's, here's how that works out. In lowliness of mind, in a humble manner, not because you're going to show your wife how to be a Christian, but be, in a humble way, you, you actually esteem her to have more value than you. You see, in our culture, if we go to the door together, this lady walks up right behind, I'll stop, I'll take the door, I'll open it, and she goes first. What am I saying? I'm saying, you are more valuable than me, please go ahead of me. That's what I'm saying. That's what we do. and That's what is implied by letting others go in front of you. You have greater value than me. Let me tell you how the Lord Jesus did this. Because it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. He thought that you were more valuable than himself, so much so that he would put himself in harm's way for you. My life is expendable. Their life is not. Take my life instead. Do you see that? That's the measure of value that we're talking about. Selflessness. All right. Um, it is. It should be stated, I think, that the fundamental need of every woman is to be loved like that. All right? Men, do you understand how that is a fundamental, basic need of their soul? You see, when you get married, your wife says, I do, right? But your goal is to let create an environment where that rose unfolds her petals over a lifetime. And you're not just looking for the surface ones. You're looking for the ones deep down in the bud. And she will only open those in a secure environment. The secure environment is the love of Christ. That's what you're after. So always take time to tell her you love her. Always take time to show that you love her. Always take time. It is the highest calling. That's what we do. And you know what I like to do? I like to take my kids to go buy the flower. They're more excited than I am. We're going in there, and, and I say, Hey, Gracie, what, or William, what do you think? Oh, Dad, that, that, don't get that. Get this one. This one. Well, that one's like twice as much. Is she worth it, Dad? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting counseling from the 11-year-old, you see. Now, my point is, is that's how we must love. Christ loved the church. All right. 
here we go, ladies. Oh, sorry, one more. Honor. This is that verse I, I, I read in the last section. Uh, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel, being co-heirs that your prayers not be hindered. Three things. Honor, weaker vessel, prayers. Here's how it plays out. Honor means to have value. You put value upon them. Too many husbands I see do not value their wife. Or maybe you value your wife, but you value her for how she makes your life easier. Right? How she actually got me dinner after my long day. Makes my life easier. Let me tell you something. That's not the right value. The honor that we're talking about is you're ascribing richness, that they are gold bullion, whether something is done or something is not. That's what's so precious about those who get old, who age in the Lord and, and their spouse, their wife, maybe not be able to do the things they used to do. And that husband lovingly cares for her. That's a beautiful demonstration of ascribing worth when there's no reciprocal benefit, if I may. That's somebody just giving. That's beautiful. That's what Christ does. Honor. Never speak ill of your wife. Never. When you, you young ones, you're married, never, ever talk to your parents about something your wife has done that is annoying or bothersome to you. Never. Honor her. That's what you do. My, I made a practice never to say anything about my wife that bothered me in front. And, you know, when you're married, things bother you, especially being as selfish as I am. And I would never do that because I wanted, uh, first, I wanted my parents to think the best of my wife. And secondly, I never wanted my wife to have that shadow. Honored her. Now, we still worked out our problems. Don't get me wrong. We still worked it out. But I want to esteem her highly, right? That's what I'm talking about. Noticing where. You know, one of the beautiful things in a relationship, men, is when you notice, okay? All right, forgive me. I'm going to be blunt. If she gets her hair done, say something, will you? And don't say something stupid like, well, that's an odd color, all right? <laughs> don't say that. Say this. Man, the redder the better. Huh? <laughs> so I tell my wife, redder the better. She gets her nails done. Uh, maybe you Christians don't get your... My wife gets her nails done. Why does she do that? It's easy. Okay? She gets her nails done. Make sure you notice that. Okay? Oh, Steve, you're being so silly. No, I'm telling you. Honor comes in many boxes and many wrappings. What I most like to do is I always notice when she walks in the room. We have a crowd full of people. I see her come in. I'm making a beeline for her. And I'm going to greet her. Always greet. Always welcome. Always grace. Always kindness. Notice. Notice. Make a study of her. Notice what she likes, what she doesn't like. You know what? I, I can, let me, ask me this question. Steve, what's, what's Janet's favorite dessert? You ready? Ice cream. What flavor of ice cream? Strawberry. Hmm? Oh, you're just gearing up for the marriage quiz that we're going to have. No, I'm not. I notice these things about her because I want her to know that she means that much to me. Her favorite color is blue. She likes it bright in the house. She likes cats, which I don't. Huh? All these things. This is not some quiz show game. This is just the elements that actually make up the whole concept of honor and respect. Now, there's a book actually written about that. It's, it's a really good book. Now... Um, weaker vessels. What does that mean? 
That mean, I think it means there's a reference physically speaking. I certainly don't think emotionally speaking. Do you ever have a baby, man? I'm going to tell you, that's emotionally st- tough. Physically, they're also tough there too, right? But it's obvious. We have different events for men and women and weightlifting and boxing and all that kind of thing. Why? Because there's a difference physically speaking. But let me tell you, I certainly there's a, a difference emotionally, right? There's some differences there. Not intellectually. I know too many smart women out there. I mean, brilliant minds, right? So, but the, the point that he's making here is there are differences. And you appreciate those differences. We're going to talk about understanding in a few minutes that highlights these differences. Co-heirs. Remember that concept I mentioned yesterday? That there was co-regency over the dominion of the earth? Well, he continues that concept by using this term, co-heirs. We are participating in the same thing. And notice this. What are you participating in? Spiritual activity. Prayers. And it says that your prayers may not be hindered. It doesn't assume, it's not saying, well, if you pray, your prayers won't be hindered. He says, I'm assuming that you as a couple are praying regularly. I am assuming that. And listen, when you don't have this re, uh, uh, wisdom, knowledge, understanding as a weaker vessel, as a co-heir, as, a, as, a, as an honor, then what happens is the spiritual activity you think is effective isn't effective at all. And how many times do we pray for our children as a couple and yet we haven't been honoring in our spirits to our wives? And guess what? It goes unanswered. Well, I prayed for my children all these years, but you sabotaged it by your disposition. That's what the scripture is saying here. Man, we can't do that. And if you're not praying with your spouse, let me make a suggestion. Pray with your spouse. Okay? Now, why? Let me tell you what happens. I learned so many things about my wife and her relationship to the Lord by listening to her pray. I'll never forget she's praying away, pouring her heart to the Lord, heart out to the Lord. And I go, oh, like, I didn't know that. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, I felt like I was in school. Learning about my wife. Those are good things. Those are good. Very intimate moments of prayer. Okay, back to Ephesians. Female responsibility. Okay, ladies, I beat up on the men. It's it's time to treat you with grace. But the word submit is in the text. I didn't write it. It's there. So you have to ask what it means. It means hupotasso. What does that mean? It means hupo is, I believe hupo is arrange, and tasso is underneath. And here's the point. You're going to arrange yourself in an orderly fashion under the, under the, the loving authority of your husband. All right? That's what that means. Now, and, and the example Peter gave, Sarah was so unique, she, was able, she did that as unto the Lord, which was hard. And when she did it, she was able, therefore, to call Abraham Lord. Now, you do not need to call your husband Lord. Okay? Handsome is fine, but not Lord. It's funny, I was in this house in Georgia, I was staying there, and uh, I, I, I was on the phone, I said, uh, hey, Mrs. Wonderful, I get off the phone, and uh, the brother there says, you have a special name for your wife? I said, yeah, I do. She goes, he goes, my wife has a name for me. I said, oh, what's that? And his wife, they're really funny. Well, it's, it's, low, it's, uh. Lord, <laughs> pick another. I go. He says, not wonderful Lord, just Lord. He said, I'd never be wonderful Lord. I said, oh, well, thanks for making that distinction. You know. I think that was a silly application, but I, it just struck me that, that that was the attitude there. Now, listen, ladies, 
what he's saying, what the scripture is going to show you in this Ephesians passage is you're going to, it already teaches you to love your husbands, although it's phileo love in Titus chapter 2. But what, what he's going to say is you're, the most important thing that's going to have to happen is your disposition of loving surrender. And when that happens, you're going to order yourself according to the leadership of your husband. Now, sometimes that leadership will be foul, right? I wanted to build my basement. Sarah or Abraham wanted Sarah to lie. That worked out well on two occasions, right? The, the Philistine group as well as uh, uh, and the Egyptian group. It was lousy both times. You think he would have learned his lesson, didn't he? And each time she went along with it, calling him Lord. I don't know about you, but if I'm that wife, I'm going, hey, hey buddy, last time we did this, it kind of went foul. Remember Egypt? Why not? Why this time? I would have had that speech. No, no. He says, listen, you arrange yourself in the orderly way. And I'm not saying you don't express yourself, but when it comes time to, to solve the equation, it says arrange yourself orderly. You can still speak, you can still discuss, you can still give and take and pray together and all that. But besides, husband, you want to do the right thing. It's not about you winning the argument. When you do that, that's you're fulfilling the scripture. That's how the bride is to be to the Lord Jesus. Now, it says here that you are to show respect. I'll read it. It's in the last few verses. Um, Nevertheless, each, uh, where does, oh, uh, wives submit. That's in verse 22. Now look at verse 33. Let each of you in particular so love his wife, that's obviously the men, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this word respect is, is the word you can almost see like phobia, right? Phobio. It means that you have great awe and respect that comes from a fear. Now here's the play, all right? Remember we read in Peter that the husband who does not obey the word may be one without a word. Obviously it's a play on words. But here's the idea. He's saying this. You live in such a manner that you would live as if you had this fearful respect for your husband, but without the reason for fear. Perfect love, husbands, uh, casts out all fear. So husbands, you love in such a way, you love in such a way that they don't have a reason to fear. Wives, you regard your husbands in such a way that it has the quality of respect that might go on, go on in a fearful relationship, but you don't have anything to fear. And that's what it said in Peter, too. She, didn't, she had no fear. If you do this without fear, remember that? I read that. And so what he's, what he's saying is that the key element here is that you live in a way, in a disposition, that shows this type of respect which you would normally see in the fearful realm, but you're doing it because of the loving surrender of your own heart. Husbands, you go ahead and create that because that's what you do when you love your wife as Christ loved the church. You remove any reason to fear. That makes the relationship beautiful. That makes it trusting. That makes it giving yourself over to one another. And I'm gonna, I'm, I want you to know this, ladies. I, I told the men, I said, the fundamental need of the wife is to be loved like Christ loved the church. Women, listen to this. The fundamental need of the husband is to have this kind of, of, of disposition of, uh, of respect in that manner. Why? Because if he doesn't have that at home, he's going to find it somewhere else. All right? I don't mean to be so crude or crass, but that's exactly why some men walk away. She lost respect for her husband. Now, don't get me wrong. Some husbands give a lot of reasons to lose respect, right? 
And those are the cases where you're going to have to really trust the Lord to do a work in your heart in a bad situation. But as a general rule, ladies, men need that. Men need to know you think that well of them. Call it baby ego issues. I don't care what you call it. The scripture is really clear. From an emotional, psychological standpoint, they need this. You need to be loved. They need to have this. Why do you think Paul put it in there? The Spirit of God put it in there. Some sort of weirdo Ephesian thing? No, I think he was touching on some of the things that, the, that many would say we've studied it out and it says this. Husbands, as I've just mentioned, give your, no, give your wives no reason to fear. Love them wholly and selflessly. Wives, voluntarily respect. Voluntarily. With a depth that generated by fear, but without the fear where there's perfect love. Our perfect love casts out all fear. So I, I, I want to end this session or section by simply talking about uh, personally. It's in the heart, balanced, right? You have a maritally, it's balanced, loving your spouses, Christ loved the church, and so on. Parentally, it's going to be this. This whole thing is going to be expressed in the family and your occupation, willing to submit, no grumbling, and your assembly. It all permeates through all facets of your existence. Now, I've got a few more minutes, and so I want to cover this next session. One of the big things that it talks about in the scriptures is uh, by wisdom a house is built, by understanding is uh, is it established, and by knowledge are the rooms filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Think of this as the raw materials for really building your house. So I've talked about the Old Testament. I've talked about the New Testament in several places. Now I'm going to make this a little more practical and say one of the things that it takes to love your wife is to have a healthy dose of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And in this discussion, I'm going to focus on understanding. All right? It needs, I, think, I, I think it's important that we, we understand each other. The woman needs to know she's being understood. The man needs to know he's understood. So wisdom is, of course, this practical application of knowledge. Knowledge is the, the, the things you have, have gained what we call empirically by observation and correlation and interpretation. Understanding is a, is a slightly different. It's described as a discernment that you, you, you not only know how to get something done, you can appreciate what goes into it. Right? So understanding is going to be pretty key, and I, I want to camp on that. Live with your wife in an understanding way. It means to... To, to have this learning based on your experience. Now, if you agree with me that the body, the human makeup, is made up of body, soul, and spirit, then you really need to understand yourself, your wife in those three dimensions, body, soul, and spirit. Not your body, soul, and spirit, her body, soul, and spirit. So let's just spend the next remaining minutes before we break for the day and just meditate on what this means. Understanding is the key. I mentioned it both in this passage in Proverbs, this passage in Peter, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying let's apply it to these three dimensions. All right. Number one, spiritually. Body, soul, and spirit. Let's talk about spirit. All right. Every, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, which I have no reason to doubt that, but if you are, God says he's given you gifting. Now, gifting in the Bible uh, is listed in multiple places in the, in the New Testament, Romans and Corinthians, some in Peter, but... but I, my theory on spiritual gifts goes like this. God gives you a gift set, all right? And it's made up of, in my, in my mind, proportions of various gifts. Let me ask you this. How many gifts did Paul have? Well, he was an apostle. He was a teacher. Did he speak in tongues? 
Yes. Did he heal? That's number four, and all those are foundational, right? Anything else? Maybe evangelism. All right? Five. five. Big ones, okay? Now, that's why at certain times he's teaching, other times he's witnessing, and other times he's, he's, he's confirming the message of God, right? I think that principle is applied to you today. So you might be 30% mercy and 50% teacher and 60% or that's too much. Uh, 20% administration and that's why you can do things that require some administrative gift but maybe not maximum administrative gift and it's enough to cover it. And so we have this different proportion. That's why I call it gifting, right? It's all wrapped in the spirit of God comes to you through him. But it's Perhaps different. That's why some of us resonate together. I often find myself, myself resonating nicely with Dave. We think alike. We talk alike. We, we, we see things because we probably have similar gifting sets, right? Now, it's very important that in the, in the, in the wife setting that you understand that she has perhaps gift, different gifting than you. Understand that. Now, the reason why I point this out is because according to the teaching on spiritual gifts, uh, uh, you have to understand that she is just a vital component to the body of Christ, and I might add to the marriage, and you want to appreciate, take this truth from the church setting and apply it in the, in the, in the marital setting, and it increases her values. It increases that you comprehend and understand the differences between her gifting set and your gifting set. It, it allows you to say things like, well, you know, you bring a different perspective than I would bring. I'm more of a mouth, you're more of an eye or an ear or the skin, and I need to understand. I appreciate that perspective. I want to comprehend it, I want to appreciate it, and I want to value it. It says there in that Corinthians passage, you can, you, I cannot say, I have no need of you. You can't say that to your wife. I don't have any need of your spiritual gift, sweetie. That's not it at all. I, liked, I, I was listening to Scott DeGroff once. You know Scott? Good friend. He was, he was te- we asked him to come and teach at our meeting on Wednesday nights on uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So he was doing spiritual gifts. He goes, well, you know, all the gifts are different. And, you know, uh, what do you say if, if we're all a, a, a tongue, you know? Great taste, but not much to look at. That was his quote. I thought it was pretty funny. Give him the credit. Okay, so, so these are the basic kind of understandings, understandings of spiritual gifting, but let's apply it to our wives, to our spouses, so you know that there's a difference between you, you and her. You're not going to see things spiritually the same. You're, 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 you want to appreciate the perspective that, that your spouse brings. My wife is very generous with this. She says, Steve, God's gifted you to teach. I appreciate that. You've taught me, right? I appreciate that she has mercy. Boy, she has a lot of mercy. And I understand that we're different, that we're we're not always going to see it the same way. I don't fight against that. I see it as an asset. I see it as a unit, as one that can see things with greater depth and perception. And so I really value that. There's nothing more beautiful when you can value and appreciate and comprehend your spouse's spiritual gift. It generally fills in the holes that you have and you don't know about. Now listen to this. As one has received it, you minister it. That's what it says in Peter. You minister it. Everybody has to do a working part of its share. So therefore, help your spouse express their gift. I'll give you an example. My wife has the gift of mercy, right? A big part of mercy. And service. Service tends to go with that. And so we're in bed. It's 11 o'clock at night. Tomorrow morning, she's thinking about the day. The next morning, and she thinks... Well, tomorrow's going to be a busy day, and -and so-and-so just lost their 
their loved one. I need to make them something. I need to do something for them. The mercy of her soul is pouring out and it's going to express itself in spiritual service or service. And so she then, 11 o'clock at night, I'm almost asleep. I feel the blankets whoosh come across my face. I go, oh, are you all right? I reach out. She's gone. I go, the rapture happened. I get my sorry little tail out of bed. I walk into the kitchen. My hair is like not like this. And, and, and you know, I got, you know, how to... You know, I walk over to the kitchen. I lean over, you know, like, hi, hi, what, what, are you, what are you doing in the kitchen? You ever do that? What, 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 what? And she goes, well, you know, I was saying, she explains everything to me, okay? I have one of two responses. Here's my, here's my first temptation. Well, honey, it's our night. We're supposed to be in bed together. Can't you do this later? That's my first one. How about this one? Recognize that she is being motivated by that which God has given her. And instead of me whining, complaining, and thinking like, hey, how, what's wrong with the hunk of munka? I mean, I'm better than cookies any day, right? I actually roll up my sleeves and I say, how can I help you? And let me tell you, that woman uses a lot of dishes to make cookies. And I washed them all, one by one, and stacked them. You see what I'm doing? I'm giving her the opportunity to express her gift because I understand it. You are designed to find fulfillment in the body of Christ by using your gift. And if it's all about you and your spouse never gets to express their gift, guess what? The relationship will be anemic. And my wife does the same thing to me. Why do you think I'm here? She lets me come. She lets me come. She's the most cheerful person ever. And I'm telling you, everything breaks when I'm away. I'm on a trip. She calls me up. Hey, Steve, now don't get upset. That's what she says. Don't get upset. Calm down. The refrigerator is broken. (laughs) That's like dropping an atom bomb on me. You know what? She, she's got to put up with all that stuff. Right? I'm gone. See, but you, you, I, I had to take my dad to the hospital. Right? She, she's doing that. You go. You need to teach. This is how God has made you. Go. Right? She does that. I'm studying. You know, I'm working away. I'm slaving in my office. She'll go, shh, daddy's studying. Daddy's studying. And little Gracie goes, you know. <laughs> all right, Listen. Understanding, comprehending, appreciating, valuing, and giving assistance to the expression of your spouse's spiritual gift is fulfilling this idea of understanding in Proverbs and Peter. All right, how else do you understand somebody? All right, let's go. Where did I go? Here we go. Let's do this one. It's what I call sentinel spiritual decisions. This is really for young people. Throughout, usually when young people get married, they come to the table and, and some of them have made decisions about their lives. Maybe you grew up in an alcoholic family and the father was very abusive and you were the victim of such abuse. And so you took an oath as a youth and you said, I'll never drink alcohol. You might want to communicate that in the marriage. 
Because that day she's making spaghetti and putting a little wine in there. You might go, what are you doing? I'm going to violate my vow. Okay, listen, calm down. And number two, it helps if you know somebody to that degree. I put in here call. Right? Paul, he was a chosen vessel of mine, was appointed a preacher, an apostle, teacher, appointed a function. It became clear to me very early on that my wife's call was to be a mother. How do I know that? She told me. This is beautiful. She said to me, I said, well, what, she was eight, 17 years old. Not that you should go dating 17-year-olds, but that's how old she was when I met her. And, and I, was, I, was, I was 18. And I said, so what has God called you to do? She goes, oh, hey, the Lord wants me to be a wife and mother. I said, oh, I didn't know what that was. I said, oh, that's nice. I said, are you, you going to go to college or anything? She goes, oh, yes, yes. Oh, good. How come? Because my parents want me to go. I want to honor them. All right, bells are going off in my head. Oh, that's good, that's good. And she goes, I said, well, what are you going to study? She goes, home economics. Is that, a, is that a discipline? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all over the country. I said, why are you studying home, home economics? So I can be a better worker at home. She was quoting Titus too. I go, and I said in my heart, I'm going to marry you, right? That was her call. I loved it. I loved it. So focused. So genuine, so scripturally based. Well, as I got, we got married and we got older, I felt the call that the Lord would have me teach, teach the scriptures and, and, and pastor or shepherd the people of God. That was my call. And I'll never forget her coming into my office one day and saying, listen, I love you so much, honey, but you're making the family a wreck because you, God has gifted you this way and you're acting like, you're, you're acting like it's, it's, it's uh, uh, something you can't do. Just face it. God's given you this. Go forward and let the rest of us relax. <laughs> She understood my call better than I. I'm telling you, those are important things. All right, what else? Let's go on. Personality. This is in the soul part. Remember, the uh, soul made up of mind, will, and emotions. I throw in there personality. Now, this personality grid is not new. It's been around forever, multiple decades. Uh, some of the early ones that, we, that are used are, uh, are uh, what is it, Gary Smalley's, you know, melancholy, sanguine, choleric, phlegmatic. I never knew what those terms meant, actually. They're too advanced for me. But the idea of the, the otter and the beaver and the golden retriever, that was much more helpful for me. Right? <laughs> and so, so, so it's, it's just good to understand personality. Some, you know, sometimes we have emotional responses that are predictable to things. You, know, I like to, I, you should know that my wife is generally a very happy person, but she gets worn out by being around a lot of people and, and, and all at once. You get me around a lot of people, I'm thinking... Man, let's go. This is better. The more, the better. You know, Janet, she can do it, but she takes longer to recover. It's just her personality. I don't try to say, well, you know, you need to be like your husband. I actually say I need to be more like you, right? So just understanding that emotion and response. Some folks are just emotion. My wife said to me, and I have permission to say this. She said she was crying. She's a crier, right? I don't do crying. I mean, I don't cry very often. When I do, it's, it's rare. She, we're in the closet. We're just talking about, like, the pets, She's oh, 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 going, oh, 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 oh. you ever have this moment, man? She's crying, going, ah, ah, ah. She goes, I said, what do you want me to do? She goes, hug me. I said, okay, okay, I can hug you. I, can. Yeah, I had no clue. I had no clue. Listen, understand their emotional responses. Their love languages. Oh, this, now I think this one was smalling. Love language is huge, all right? See, some people, you say, I love you in words, and they go, oh, that means so much. Thank you. Some people you say, I love you. Hey, I love you, brother. That's nice. 
wasn't their uh, interpretation. It's the wrong language. What do they mean by it? How do they hear the words, I love you? Well, you go over there and help them clean up the mess on the floor that they're working with. They hear love by acts of service. Other, others hear love by time. Oh, this was so big. I first got married. I saw that my wife had a bad day. She, the dishes were still in the sink. So what did I do? I just jumped in and did the dishes. I go to her. She's on the couch. I said, hey, sweetie, I did the dishes. Is that okay? She goes, don't you think I can do the dishes? Uh, I, I think you can do the dishes. I, I, I didn't mean... I just want you to come in and sit down and sit with me on the couch. I go, I did the dishes. I thought that was saying I love you. Steve, that's how you hear I love you, but I hear I love you if you sit and just, just be with me. Okay. Now she knows that's an incredible sacrifice. So I sat on the couch like this. time do we got? You know what I learned? She hears love I best, love the best if I divorce myself from all other distractions and just be with her. So you know what I started doing on her birthday, which is in October? Sitters all day. We go out wherever she wants to go. Do you know I didn't know they had that much clothes at Dillard's? (laughs) Oh, she's so kind. She goes, oh, now here's the dressing room. Here's your chair. And you and did you bring the book? Oh yeah, I, I brought the book. Okay, and she just sit here, and I'll put, and I'll come out, and I'll show you, and I, and you don't have to move. Oh, thank you. That meant I didn't know how much that meant to her till a year later. She's telling about her birthday last year and the new one coming up. She said, "Best birthday ever is when Steve took me out all day. We went everywhere, anywhere I wanted because I had him to myself." I heard that and I went, "Oh, oh that's it." 20 years later, I finally figured it out. (laughs) Love languages. Fleshly struggles. Okay. We all bring this to the relationship, right? Some of us are prideful guys. Some of us are lustful things, insecurities, bitternesses, jealousies, and they flux over time. Understanding those in your spouse, that does so much. That's an expression of love. I'll never forget. (laughs) My wife said to me, she said, you know, Steve, I know they hurt your feelings, but I think you have the bitterness in you. I don't have any bitterness. They're just dirt. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Right? That kind of thing is very helpful. You you ladies, understand where this lust thing is in your your husband. Uh, Men, or ladies, understand that most men have a lot of pride. Men, you need to understand about yourself, and so... You can receive the feedback that you need, and vice versa. Maybe, ladies, you're prone to jealousy or bitterness, or or, or fixated on the externals. You know, we all bring this. It's uh, important to understand, not so we can pound them, so that we can help each other through them. We fulfill Galatians one and two, two six one and two together. All right, this is where this is where we'll stop. Now, there's a third area of understanding. This is the soul part. It's the physical part. My wife is not a volleyball player. She loves to watch sports. She'll scream and yell and cheer, but she does not like to participate in sport. She actually is a great pianist. That's her sport. You know, I learned very early on, don't embarrass her about that. We're at camp. I say, I'm going to go play volleyball because I love volleyball. And she goes, oh, I think I'll watch. 
oh, come on out, come on. And I said it in such a way that several other people heard that. And they put the peer pressure on for her to join me on the court. She was so embarrassed. She didn't have any confidence. She hadn't played much. and She didn't want to do it. You know what I learned? If she's not wired that way physically, don't force her that way. right? And don't put her in a position to be forced that way. But there's others understanding about physical things. Um, men, think about it. After the, your, your wife has a baby, it takes about a year for her to recover her body, right? So, you, you know, you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to need to understand that physically she's not going to feel up to things. She's not going to have the strength and energy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had your wife in the last trimester of the pregnancy? Their bodies are so changed. They'll stand in the mirror. I can't see my toes. You know, and you're thinking, but they're beautiful. I just want to see my toes. Hurts, back hurts, tummy hurts, skin stretch. You don't have a belly button anymore. Everything's different. Understanding that physically. You know, I didn't understand that for years. Nine babies, and I I still had trouble understanding what's the big deal. Well, the big deal is it's a big deal. Your body isn't changing and hers is. Understanding that. Surgeries, understanding that. Understanding about the time of the month. I didn't have sisters. I had to learn about that. Right? These are all part of understanding. When your spouse senses that you understand them in a manner that is done before they can say the word, don't tell them what you understand or what they're feeling, but you understand what they're saying almost before they say it, what that does to the relationship is it combines two lives so that they actually become interwoven. And it's very hard to separate the fabric when it's woven. right? That's what's going on. And when he says, husbands love your wives, wives will submit, respect your husbands, when that gets played out in loving authority and willing submission or loving surrender, what happens is, is that this understanding is the next tier and it begins to really weld you together, weave you together. And you understand how? Body, soul, and spirit. It's very simple. Right? So I, I need to understand my wife right now. Right now she's got some physical ailments, some uh, body aches. It sounds like she's got like a form of lupus or something, that kind of thing. And I understand that she actually needs to rest every day. You know what I do? I don't schedule the day full. We'll get to a certain point. I said, you know, it's about 2 o'clock. You think you might need to lay down? She goes, yeah, I do. Thanks for, thanks for making that possible. And I'll take those kids, and what do we'll do? We'll go to McDonald's, because I don't know what else to do with them. <laughs> and let Janet rest. Understanding. When that is sensed by one partner to the other, you understanding your husband's needs, you understanding your wife's needs, and all that, you know, the sexual needs and all that stuff, when that happens, a marriage is well on its way to being like Christ loved the church. See that? That's what we're after. It welds you together. You can't separate it. No 20-year-old's going to come around when you're 50 and steal the husband away because they have too much interwoven weaving of life. Interweaving of spirit and soul and body. That's why we can't let the child-rearing years steal our affection one to another. All right, we better stop. Father, thank you for the attentiveness of all here. Thank you that you have given grace to us.
and these hours of discussion, but oh, Father, would you uh, give a special movement of the Spirit of God to bring these things back to our souls over and over again because I know that you love us with equal, if not greater, compassion, tenderness, kindness, love, uh, and the Word of God. Oh, Father, I pray, speak to us through the Word, through your Spirit. Help us understand. Help us be wise. Help us be observant. Help us have that discernment that we need. Oh, Lord, let us, if there's anybody we should have that to, it's not the workplace, it's our, wives, it's our spouses, our wives and our husbands, we pray. In Jesus' name.